You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. And welcome to On the Bench. I am Josh Newberg. I am joined by Zach Blostein. Hello, Zach. Hello, Josh. And Brendan Sinone. Hello, Brendan. Hello. Welcome back to On the Bench. We are here to talk about Florida State's final summer camp of the summer. I guess I said that right. Um, yeah. you, you, didn't camp- say it, you didn't say it cleanly, but you did say it correctly. Yeah, I got it out. Camp season is over. Uh, Seminal Showcase is what we're calling it. It didn't really have a name. I think literally up until the moment it occurred, I reached out to somebody like on Friday over at FSU and I said, hey, I've been calling this just FSU's end of July camp. Is there a better name for it? And he's like, no, I don't think so. But Zach cracked the code and just before check-in began, he saw one of the one of the lanyards and it said seminal showcase. So we are going to officially call the end of July camp seminal showcase. Uh, The Seminoles hosted about 30 to 40 of their top targets from 22, 23 and 24 classes. I'd say the day began at 11 AM with check-in at the IPF, but really it began a little bit earlier than that. Prospects started rolling in about eight 30. We're going to highlight who the first one was here in a minute. But checking at the IPF began at 11 a.m. Um, prospects came in and they were served a barbecue lunch. I believe it was from Sonny's and it was inside the IPF, kind of a private deal. Not a big, not a big shindig, just get some food in their bellies. And then they went on tours. They met with the staff. They listened to presentations. Um, Zach, we saw them kind of all over the place. Was Am I missing anything else? The golf carts were active. What, what, what did they do inside exactly? Yeah, well, um, a lot, some of them came like most of the commits, like Travis Hunter and Sam McCall came into the, the Moore center before, you know, check-in started with like eight thirty nine nine AM. Um, and they were doing some stuff in there, some photo shoots. And then most of the recruits went on golf carts to over to the IPF to go and partake in the, uh, the lunch that they had, um, from Sunny's barbecue. And, um, they did a couple other activities in there, I believe. And then they went back over to the Moore Center to partake in some meetings. Um, they went into, I know for a fact, they went into the auditorium inside the Moore Center and they had some Florida State players like Jarvis Brownlee, Kevin Knowles, Jerry and Jones. They did the, uh, hold on, Zach, they did the player focus group, which is yeah. always uh, a favorite of recruits and parents because it's where I think they said, like you said, there was about four current FSU players that spoke to the to the group of 30 or 40 prospects and their parents, and the coaches left the room. And that's always a pretty cool conversation. Yeah. So those those guys got to talk with the recruits in that, you know, player panel. So that was a good experience for them. And then they went onto the field, watched a, you know, kind of like a highlight hype video um, with Mike Norbell talking in the background. They made their way over to the unconquered statue and learned a little bit about the history of the Seminole tribe. They went back. You saw and, some of that, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I, I actually drove around and kind of listened to some of it. Was talking to some of the coaches that were over there with some of their prospects. And who did the presentation on that? Was it a, a staffer from FSU? It wasn't a football staffer. It was like someone that probably works within the museum or so, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. I've seen them before. Chris would probably know, but uh. But it, but it was it was someone associated with Florida State. Um, they they gave a lot of cool information about the history of the tribe. So that was an interesting thing. He was kind of like he was standing up in the middle of like a big circle. I have some photos of it. I might drop it on Twitter and just just to give a visualization of it. So it was pretty cool. Right at, right by the unconquered statue. Um, but then they went back in and kind of um, did some stuff for a bit before the camp actually started. Mm-hmm. And uh, the camp itself began around 3 15 p.m and it was held on the field inside of dope campbell stadium they had the scoreboards up they had the music going 
And the players were, the recruits, I should say, were about to take the field at 3 p.m. Um, they were kind of in the tunnel. Zach and I were waiting for him to come out and Zach breaks out his phone to pull up Instagram Live. Zach, we witnessed, it, it took about three tries, right? Yeah. <laughs> but we witnessed the commitment of Miami Central offensive tackle Daughtry Richardson. Uh, we previewed this on Saturday. We told you guys that this was an in-state battle, mainly between Miami and FSU. There was a late surge for, from Kentucky. But the bake sale boys are back, and they pull right from the 305, the best offensive tackle in the area this year, Daughtry Richardson, six foot four, 285 pounds. Zach, um, an impressive commitment. What are they getting out of Daughtry Richardson? Yeah, he's he's definitely out of the uh, five they now have committed the most tackle like body. Um, he's listed at six five, you know, probably under two eighty. So he's got. Um, I went to go watch him in the spring at Miami Central, and he's got you know really great athleticism at that position. And I think um, I think down the line he could you know serve to be either you know a right tackle prospect um, or even push to to left tackle if they need him to be so it's good to get tackle bodies we always talk about that on this podcast and you know they've gotten a lot of guards already in this class and some pretty good ones at that but you got to get tackles because those are the positions that um are, are the hardest to recruit and hardest to project to the next level so the more bodies you get the higher percent chance that you're going to find some guys that can uh that can contribute so i think richardson could do that um you know might take a a year or two in the in the system to kind of um, mold him into the, the tackle prospect that you want. But I think Alex Atkins did a great job of fending off, you know, a late surge from Kentucky. And also, you know, Miami brought him in on that final weekend of June for their mm. for an official visit. So, you know, Alex Atkins proving to be a, a pretty elite recruiter on the trail. Obviously, he's got some other guys that we'll talk about um, still on the board. Do you think Manny Diaz takes solace in the fact that at least if he's losing out on these local prospects, at least they're going to his alma mater, right? Yeah. There's some there's some winning and losing. I'm sure Manny finds the silver lining in that somewhere. I was told by Miami fans that they didn't want either of the commits from this weekend. So well, I don't know what Miami fans you're talking to, but um Daughtry Richardson makes it official, commits to FSU. They now have five offensive line commitments. And just to and Daughtry Richardson was an important piece to this class. FSU's been on him for over a year now. Um, he's visited numerous times. But I still don't think that the Daughtry Richardson commitment really fills the need of, of what we say every, every preseason. Of FSU needs an impact, offensive tackle, left tackle from the high school ranks. And while Daughtry Richardson is a, a true tackle, um, he's not an instant impact guy, but it is a step in the right direction for FSU. Uh, it is a guy that they've shown that, you know, a lot of times we've seen offensive tackles be interested in FSU early on. Um, and then things happen and they just don't close on these offensive tackles. So it was good to see. All right. Now let's get into all the recruiting intel from Seminole Showtime showcase. Do you know how many times I wrote Seminole Showtime on Twitter? I think you put it on the headline at one point and had to change it. Yeah, like a minute in. Story. <laughs> Zach, do you have any idea why I call it Seminole Showtime? I do not. All right. You were probably still peeing your diapers back then, but in about 2009, Jimbo Fisher put on Seminole Showtime. And that's why I call it Seminole Showtime. But it is now called Seminole Showcase. All right. Marvin Jones Jr., he made it to FSU. A bit of a surprise. Zach had the story ready. Um, Zach, congrats. You got word on the Marvin Jones Jr. potential visit the night before. You put the story in the admin just in case we could confirm it before. Um, a couple hours before he made it to campus, you put out the story. Give us the details on Marvin Jones' trip to FSU. Yeah, the, the, the biggest thing with this trip is that he, he he brought his dad along for the for the ride? Former Florida State legend at the linebacker position, Shade Tree. So um, that was big, and you know we we've been kind of hearing it's big that, because it's his dad's first trip to 
FSU with Marvin. Yeah, and we've been kind of hearing that, you know, there were some rumors that he wasn't too involved in his son's recruiting process, but it seems like as, um, you know, Marvin's process is coming closer to, to an end um, over these next couple of months and, and into the, the winter months is when, when, when he's planning to decide. So um, it, it seems like his dad's going to become more involved and start taking some visits with him. And this is the first visit that I know of that he went on um, with his son during the recruiting process, uh, especially at Florida State, because I know the previous time um, he came with his mom, I believe, and maybe another family member. And the time before that was with the high school teammates. So mm-hmm. it, it was huge. And they're still on campus. I saw them this morning um, recording this on Monday. They, they walked in. Um, him, his dad, and JP rode up, and the entire staff was there to greet him. He's already been on a golf cart tour today, and um, we're expecting the visit to either end tomorrow or Wednesday. So um, another wow. multi-day visit for him, um, which is just big because – I, I think, you know, you, you always write the top 10 most wanted. He's always close to the top. Um, He's probably. been number one from wire to wire so far. Yeah. So that's just crazy. And, and he's a legacy kid. We always talk about that. But Florida State's recruiting him separate from that legacy. Um, but getting his dad on campus is just massive. Dare I say he's trending up for Florida State? How dare you? He's definitely trending up for Florida State. All right. And we saw him. He did not work out, but we did see him with the staff. Uh, At one point at the beginning of camp, he was up in Norvell's office kind of watching from the balcony um, while guys were warming up. We saw Coach Fuller up there with him at one point, and then he made his way down to the field for most of the camp. Norvell was with him. Coach JP was with him. Really, everybody from the FSU staff was kind of coming over to the sideline and, and showing him love and talking to him. So, um, we'll have an update with Marvin Jones Jr. once his visit to FSU concludes. Moving on to the next big-time prospect, four-star offensive tackle Elijah Pritchett. We talk about him a lot. He's out of Columbus, Georgia, Carver High School, for those keeping track. Um, he was back at FSU for the fourth time this offseason. If, if you're into following the visits, this is one to check out because Elijah Elijah Pritchett is, in his own words, starting to feel, quote, at home at Florida State. And I think that's big. Um, I wrote a story this morning on Elijah Pritchett. You can read it on Knowles 24-7. I'm not quite there on the crystal ball. I know I said that um, on the last one that I said a crystal ball could be dropping this weekend. I think what I was waiting to find out was if he was going to make that trip to Bama. If he wasn't making a trip to Alabama and was shutting his recruitment down for the summer, that meant the next trip he was going to make was to Notre Dame FSU. Um, It would have meant that he wouldn't have been at Alabama a, a second time. He took an official visit there in early June. And I think the momentum would have heavily favored Florida state in, in that situation. But Elijah Pritchett told me that him and his family are going to some sort of cookout at Alabama at the end of the week. He's looking forward to it. So let's just see what happens. I know Tyler Booker committed to Alabama, maybe tightening their class up a little bit, but from all the research and and phone calls I've made, there still is a spot for Pritchett at Alabama. So I'm going to keep watching it. Not ready to put a crystal ball pick in. Uh, Zach, your impressions of seeing Pritchett back on campus, anything stick to you? Yeah, I mean, he was just always by the side of, of Alex Atkins. Um, even though he didn't work out, he was watching Atkins coach up um, the, the prospects that were working out. So I thought that was pretty cool. And, like, when, when a recruit would show up, like Quayshon Sapp showed up um, kind of later later than Pritchett, uh, he, he would be with Atkins to greet those guys. So it was like, I don't know, th- those two have just formed such a great bond that I think, um, that I think that's why it, it, him saying – that he feels at home at Florida State is just very, very telling of, of Atkins' ability to create that bond. And we know Ryan Barto is also very involved in that recruitment. Pritchett told me that he's going to make a mid-September commitment. The last time he was on campus, he was set to make an early July commitment. I think it was like July 3rd, July 9th, something like that. And um, he pushed it back he, to a uh, indefinite date well now he's telling me it'll be mid-september and i said is there anything significant with mid-september like is it your birthday your mom's birthday? who knows you know with these kids and he said no i just want to get some games under my belt meaning like he wanted a he wanted to watch a couple games of fsu 
of probably all the teams that that uh that he's being recruited by but clearly fsu out of georgia alabama has the most to prove on the field to elijah pritchett so i i do think he is leaning towards fsu but i'm just not ready to put that crystal ball pick in four-star defensive end travion williams was back at fsu we talked about him on saturday uh, he's the uh, four-star defensive end prospect out of Mississippi. Uh, Zach and I went back and forth on Saturday talking about the rumors of a, I don't want to say a potential flip, but the rumors that Mississippi State and Ole Miss are still heavily involved with Travion Williams. Well, Travion Williams ends up showing at FSU, not only showing up at FSU for the showcase camp, but he intends to stay probably through today for sure. And maybe even through Tuesday, uh, he's back in town with his mother, his aunt. Um, was anybody else with Travion Williams, Zach? Probably a few other family members. I mean, there were just so many people that it was hard to keep track. Yeah. So when you spoke to him, he told you that he's not even really talking to Ole Miss, right? Yeah. He said the only two schools he's in communication with are Florida state and Mississippi state. Um, I, we were just talking on the sideline of the camp when he wasn't uh, working out. But but it's so clear that um, Florida State is where he feels most comfortable. He did say he's going to make it over to Mississippi State um, at the end of this month. And then that'll be his final visit of the summer. Mm -hmm. But there were rumors, not rumors, but reports on the 24-7 Sports Network from the Ole Miss site and from the Mississippi, Mississippi State site about um, their involvement with Williams at this point. But... Having seen him at FSU, bringing back the family on another unofficial visit. I mean, it, 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 was, it was a great sign. I would say he's a solid commit at this time. Um, I don't think there's anything to worry about, at least in the short term with Travion Williams. Would you yeah. agree? Yeah, I agree. Um, and another factor that is just when you see his family and how they interact with the coaching staff at Florida State, they just feel so comfortable. They're all like you know, really good friends. Um, and I, I just think that that's a big factor if, if you want to get a kid to leave Mississippi, uh, Mississippi, because that's a hard state to go pull kids from. So I, I just think that their comfort, you know, comfortability with with the Florida State staff is very, very, you know, impressive. And I think yeah. um, that's what's keeping him so solid at FSU as well, along with him liking the school on his own. Right. Just seeing the family interact with them and um <laughs> I would find it hard to believe that he's he's thinking about ending the relationship between him and FSU at this point, having seen what I've seen firsthand. So feel good there. It was it was an important visit for FSU. Another very important visit. The very first player to arrive on campus. Um, Zach and I got to the bench at what? Before 830, right, Zach? Yeah, like 8.15. Yeah, about 8.15. And about five minutes later, and when we arrived to the Moore Center, to the bench, Mike Norvell and the entire staff were already outside by the uh, Bobby Bowden statue. And Mike Norvell was, said he was worried that we weren't coming to the bench anymore. He thought that we had enough in June and that we weren't <laughs> going to cover recruiting in July. So he was happy to see the bench full again. Um but Zach and I pull up at about 8.15. We get out there five minutes later, and this is why the staff was was out by the Bobby Bowden statue. They weren't just having their coffee. Um, Daniel Lyons pulls up. And obviously we knew it was going to be an important visit for him because uh, we're getting down to it. And we talked about the defensive tackle board. There's, there's not much on there. And Daniel Lyons is one of the top remaining targets. Um, we see him pull up. There's a van and a car. Zach, how many people came with Daniel Lyons? Had to be at least eight to maybe 10. a dozen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They pull up in the van. You see people getting out. You see Daniel Lyons getting out. You see his mom and, and, and dad. And then you see some younger kids. But then you also see grandparents and, and middle age. And it's just like, wow. Me and Zach looked at each other and we just knew this wasn't his first visit. I mean, he, he, he's been, he, he was on campus in June. And we just looked at each other and we said, oh, what? He's committing. Did we put our crystal balls in right there, like before 9 a.m.? I don't know the exact time, but we were just like, I think he had gotten in the building. We were just thinking about it. Like, you don't bring that many family members 
especially someone you know where th that's having difficulty getting out of the car because they're they're you know of an older age to to not commit to the school so it, it how many it just, hour drive is that that's from where they are homestead to tallahassee homestead's yeah. like the like the the last one of the last cities before you start getting into Correct. like the bridge to the keys yeah, yeah. it's at the very yeah. tip of the it's state like eight hours eight, eight hour drive right so me and zach just knew like we knew what time it was you don't bring 10 family members eight hours at the end of the summer for no reason you know just to get a look at a campus um so we logged those crystal balls early but we weren't sure when he was going to commit to be honest with you like i know a lot of people thought uh we knew there was a silent commitment or something like that we just we were just reading the tea leaves I had someone text me, and for context, I was at a bachelor party the evening before, and they text me like at nine o'clock in the morning, like, "What's up with all the crystal balls with lions? What do you guys know?" And you guys hadn't put anything in the group thread about all the family members. I was like, "I have no idea <laughs> what they're seeing or what they're hearing out there. I just knew you guys had seen something on the bench." Yeah, and nobody tipped us off. Nobody, you know, gave us like the the elbow and said like, "Yeah, he's gonna commit." Like it was just, it was evident. So about four or five hours later, camp's about to start. Daughtry Richardson had just committed. Um, we we tweeted all that out and took care of it. And then the players were taking the field. And I look in the tunnel and I see Daniel Lyons kind of standing in the tunnel and all the coaches are coming up and congratulating him. And Zach just looks at me. He's like, he committed. I'm like, yeah, I know. Yeah. And that's where I got the video of all the coaches going up to him and congratulating him in the tunnel. I tweeted it out uh, at Josh Newberg 247 if you haven't seen it. But it was a moment where it was just clear this kid had made his decision. Family was all around him. Coaches were all around him. Um, he was clearly happy. Zach, did you hit up Chris and tell Chris to write the story? My mind's a blur. That was like a crazy five minutes how it all went down. Yeah, so as soon as I saw the signs of him committing, I put in the uh, the group chat, like, oh, can someone do this? Because we were both in the field. Just well, I wrote phone. it on the site. I put it on the message board and tweeted yeah. it out. It broke the news real quick. But we needed a front page story. So I think you reached out to Chris, right? Yeah. Who's well, in Vegas. <laughs> yeah. He, he wrote the story off of his phone in Vegas, probably doing like a slot machine. <laughs> Smoking a cigarette, even though he yeah. doesn't smoke. Yeah. That is like Chris's dream, right? To 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 have to be called into duty to write a breaking commitment story on his phone. Like on that's his what he phone. lives for. Yeah, that's what he lives for. And I was like, I was driving home at that point. I was middle of like Homosassa on 19, middle of nowhere almost. And I was like, I could pull over and write something. He's like, no, I got it. <laughs> it was great. But it was it enabled us to kind of sit there and watch the reaction. And Zach goes up to Daniel Lyons, and this is like 10 minutes after and the dust is settling and all the people are done congratulating him. Zach goes, you, you committed, right? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to make sure, man. I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll piss off what have Chris been if he wrote that. And then it turns out, I was like, no, we were all just hugging. Oh, okay. Lions brought his girlfriend. That's how we knew Zach. That's what, uh, yeah. that's what really tipped us off. Not I took a photo of them in Norvell from Nor like from the field, looking up to Norvell's office. Yeah. And they're, and they were like posing. So that's where they, that's where they must've committed. Yeah. They probably did it up in Nor Norvell's office and then came down to the field and um, let everybody know. Uh, Brendan, you have been keeping tabs on Daniel Lyons for a while because he's been a top target this whole cycle. Uh, you put out a story on Knowles 24-7 about his impact at, on the field. What did you see in Daniel Lyons' film? So I, I like him. I don't know if I love him, but I certainly see the upside for Daniel Lyons. He's six foot four, 270 pounds currently, moves really well uh, in his frame, and has the length and, and what looks like on film, the upper body to keep adding weight and to play that effectively like at 290 pounds. I think he really fits the mold, Josh, of what Florida State wants in his defensive tackles. Like We haven't seen him take a whole lot of – Robert Cooper type of, or True Thompson type of like big, thick defensive tackles. No, they're going with more of the long framed, thin ones that they want to put a little weight on, but they want athleticism. They want to do a lot of stunts and and be aggressive with what they do on the defensive front. I think Daniel Lyons kind of fits that. He's got really quick feet, uh, good acceleration once he gets going. You see a lot of hustle plays where he's where he's making uh, pursuit okay. plays and angles. Yeah, he's he's doing a good job of of playing with a lot of energy. See that consistently on his film. Uh, the one thing I would like to see, I guess two things is one, you see some really good examples of him using his hands and his long arms to keep guys away from him, him doing that more consistently, and then kind of just dominating at times. So he doesn't go for long stretches where you could tell he's dominating a certain game. He has good production, not elite. I think he gets about a sack a game. 
So it's a good take at a major position in need and someone who I think has a fair amount of upside. Feel a lot better about it today, right? Than than you did about defensive tackle even like a month ago with him and Mr. Oh, yeah. Thomas in the fold. Definitely. And Daniel Lyons, again, isn't an instant problem solver. It's kind of similar to the Dotchy Richardson commitment. I would I, say so. I like both of them. I mean, I like the takes of both of them. Um, and I think they, they're both going to contribute at Florida State in a major way down the road. But I don't know if it's, you know, it doesn't, it's not in the same run of defensive tackles that we're used to. Um, but we're not done with this cycle. FSU's got to prove it on the field. It, hey, they still got, they got a win to hold on to Daniel Lyons, I still think. You know, this isn't just because he's committed doesn't mean it's over. Um, Miami was heavily in pursuit of him, and I don't think that's going to stop at this point. I think, uh, you know, they still need help on the defensive line, and Daniel Lyons is right there in Homestead, Florida, right in the 305, as Manny likes to say. Um, but it's a big it's a big addition at a position of need. You can't deny that. All right. Before we get into all the hype about Sam McCall and Travis Hunter being there, I want to hit on one more uncommitted prospect that was there, and that was Eston Harris Jr. He worked out. This was his second trip to Florida State. His first visit was not a workout, but he was in cleats working with Alex Atkins um, yesterday. And a little bit of news, but after the visit, he told Zach that FSU leads. Is that the case? Yeah. So in the post post visit interview, um, I basically asked him like, where does Florida State stand after this, you know, second trip of the summer? And he was like, they're they're the top school. I'm like, number one. He's like, yeah. So I think it's just it comes down to his relationship with Atkins, with Alex Atkins. Like most of these offensive line recruits, um, he just forms a, a very unique bond with them. And with Essen Harris, it's no different. Um, we talked about on the last pod with with, with Josh and I where. You know, he came in June and it almost felt like an official visit. And then he comes again in July and, it, and it's more of a camp setting where he gets one-on-one -on -one work with Atkins um, at the Seminole Showcase. And that's something that he pointed out as, as kind of, that was like the focus point of this visit was, you know, seeing how Atkins coaches his guys. And that's something that he, he really liked and was impressed with um, when, when I talked to him. So he'll, he'll make it over to Florida later this week. And then his next visit after that will be um, his official visit to Florida State for the Notre Dame game. All right. Here's the thing with Essen Harris. I don't know if Florida State's going to get to him. He's not going to make his decision until what? What did he say? Mid. It's yeah, October twenty eighth, which is okay. Right, October. So we think we still feel good about our Jalen early crystal balls. See so or no? Yeah, I feel good about mine. Okay, and I feel good about mine. That would be six commitments. Six offensive line commitments if uh, Jalen Early commits. And then you still got Pritchett hanging out there. And Pritchett's going to make his decision, well, he's saying mid-September. But he's also kind of alluded to wait until after the season as well. So I wouldn't hold Pritchett to anything that he's saying right now when it comes to decision-making time. But the way that they're in that recruitment – I think you just you take your six commitments, you try to hold on to those guys, and you uh, you try to add Pritchett. I think Eston Harris is kind of more of what they got. While I think he's a good prospect, I think he's you know he's a defensive line um, convert. He hasn't played a whole lot of offensive line in his career, and I think he's 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 another developmental guy if you take him. Um, and Florida State's got a handful of those in this class already, so. I am not sure. I, this sounds crazy, but these are the good problems to have. I'm not sure Florida State's going to get to Eston Harris. It's not a controversial take, is it, Zach? No. I mean, it's a numbers game, and, and Florida State has to, you know, fill their needs uh, with the, you know, their highest options. If they can land Elijah Pritchett, I don't think it's anyone would have an issue in them in passing on Eston Harris. But obviously, you know, you, you still keep him warm and see what Pritchett mm -hmm. does. If he doesn't, if he does commit in September, you're going to have a good, you know, idea of um, where you go next. Right. Exactly. So we'll see how that plays out. But um, we'll keep Essen Harris on the board for Florida State. Uh, I, I do agree with Zach. I think that they're going to continue to recruit him, continue to stay in contact with him because of his timeline of making a decision. There's no real pressing need to do that. Um, 
Let's get to the stars of the show. Sam McCall, Travis Hunter, Florida State's two five-star DB commitments. Uh, we're both on campus again at the same time. McCall worked out at cornerback. Hunter took reps at both receiver and corner. Um, did, did McCall line up at safety? Did they really have anybody lining up at safety? I, I don't remember during the one-on-ones. No, not really. I mean, it was just basically playing press corner. Yeah, exactly. People were in my mentions and they were asking like, oh, is McCall also lining up at safety? I was like, I don't think this is like really indicative of anything in terms of that. This is more of just guys going one-on-one and competing and and doing what they do at these kind of camps. So um, we both watched Sam McCall. We both watched Travis Hunter. What was your impressions? I mean, it was just awesome to see them go head to head. Um, I got, I have multiple videos of them literally I think it was Travis Hunter at receiver two times against Sam McCall. I think the first time, you know, the ball was overthrown or something like that. Um, but the second time, Travis Hunter just separated himself. And Sam McCall kind of gave up because he knew, you know, Hunter was was well ahead of him, um, kind of shook him on the route. So it, it was just really awesome to see both of them work out. Um, and almost surprising just because of how close the season is um, in, in fall camp for a lot of these high schools you know, just a week or two away. So a lot of recruits, we saw some some recruits kind of hold out and not not want to risk, you know, injury or something like that. But Florida State did a good job of not making it like a high high pressure, like, oh, you need to work out or some, something along those lines. Like, it, it was just a casual event. They only did it for, you know, a short amount of time. So um, we got to see some really cool matchups and Hunter and McCall were, were definitely um, the top performers in my opinion. And Travis Hunter is going to not, not work out if there's a chance to play football right yeah sorry i was muted but (laughs) i thought i thought you were just making me swim in awkwardness on purpose no to uh to zach's point it's not a high pressure outfit here at florida state guys can work out whatever position they want bro josh is throwing so much shade at miami let's just like dive into this right now (laughs) i'm getting no i'm getting all the buzzwords in um (laughs) Those two were exciting, but maybe the most exciting commitment to take the field was three-star athlete Brian Courtney. Uh, Brian Courtney was back at FSU this time. For, uh, the second time is a commitment, but the first time that he would be there working out for the Florida State staff. I enjoyed watching Courtney. Can, let me, can I just get that off right now, that I enjoyed watching Courtney work out at tight end? I thought... Um, Thought he was impressive. Ooh, so so you're a big fan of the take or a fan of the take now? I was never. This is the funny part. I was never not a fan of Brian Courtney or of. Well, I shouldn't say the take, but my point this whole time was I was just blown away by the process. Okay, Travion Williams, six foot four, two hundred fifty three pound pass rusher that can tomahawk dunk and do three sixties. We need to see him on campus before we offer. Brian and Travion Williams had, you know, several offers from, from a lot of different schools. Travion Williams or uh, Brian Courtney, on the other hand, they get some verified numbers from Under Armour and all of a sudden he's a take. Um, I didn't really understand it. They didn't need to see him in person. I understand why now after seeing him in person, I just thought that the process was a little flawed. I'm sorry. And I still think <laughs> Brian Courtney worked out yesterday and received a Florida State offer yesterday He'd still be committed to Florida State. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to respond to that. I mean, we we could play the results though and say that they were right. Like it, it was a good take at right. It was a good take at the time. It was an intriguing one, and they've only had that confirmed. Yeah, I've had coaches tell me that they think he's a five star. Like, and this is why they need to stay as coaches and not twenty four seven sports evaluators. <laughs> Who's the last five-star tight end? Like Arik Gilbert? Like, <laughs> there's only been a handful of five-star tight ends. And he doesn't play tight end in high school either, which would also be right. problematic. <laughs> so even though they believe that, it doesn't mean it's true. Um, but it was good to see him, and it was it was fun to record him. I really wanted to see him. I really wanted to see him work out um, just in general. And I shot a lot of film, and I'm going to have a full video up on Knowles 24-7 this afternoon i'm going to take all my clips and put it together it should be like a minute and a half two minute highlight of brian courtney working out at florida state and during his workout i was tweeting out some clips as well and in my mentions people were 
<laughs> people were going crazy. It, it was funny. They were just, they were like, oh, Newberg, he's really hating to tweet out this. This must be burning him up on the inside. And it was it funny, did. even on the field, um, somebody grabbed me, a coach grabbed me. And this is like after a great catch down the middle and uh, by Courtney. And I, I'm walking over to shoot some video of Sam McCall and he kind of stops me in the middle and he's like, and I just look at him. I go, he's, he's really impressive. I'm impressed. And he goes, can't talk down on Courtney anymore. Can you? <laughs> your, your long, your long-standing hatred for Brian Courtney must be rectified now. Just rate us five stars on iTunes. That's all I ask. Hey, it does show, I will say this, and you, you, I think the critique of the process was fair at the time a few months ago, Josh, and it's great that for FSU that looks like it's working out, and, and he may end up being a guy that they have to to battle to hold on to. I got a feeling that he will get more interest as the season goes on, and, and that shows that this staff, I think, can evaluate. Again, even though you can critique the, the process, they saw things on his film that they liked. They ver they verified it with numbers. That was before you could get guys in person. He might be. I'm just not giving this staff a pass at evaluating tight ends. Look at some of the ones they've taken so far. They haven't taken a ton. I mean, we'll see. <laughs> I mean, we'll see. Uh, Maybe I'll give him a pass down the road. Anyway, uh, I like Brian Courtney. I was very impressed. Uh, he's a little bit, I don't think he's 235. I think he's a little bit leaner than that. He's right there in the 6'3", six, 6'4 six, range. Um, good hands, great hands, seem to really take on to coaching from Coach Thompson. I mean, they were in shorts and in t-shirts. So it's not the end all be all, but it uh, Brian Courtney's performance at Florida State was impressive. I can I can say that. Let's move on to some 2023 five-star news. There was a ton of 23 guys there. I'm not going to bore you with it. We're just going to talk about the five stars. Um, Tony Mitchell, the number one cornerback in America for next year's class out of Alabama, was back at FSU for the first time since his spring game appearance. Now, we talked a lot about Tony Mitchell at the time. There was even some crystal balls dropping, I think, and it seemed like Florida State was well on its way to um, – having a firm place in his recruitment. But then June came and Tony Mitchell never showed up at Florida State. Zach, what was up with that? And what did you think of his visit yesterday? Um, yeah, with the June visit thing, I, I have my own theories on that. Um, I'm not going to share them just because I, you know, I think there's some just, there was some stuff going on behind the scenes in the month of May. Um, I'm sure some people can piece it together, but you know, Tony Mitchell did make it to Florida State this summer. So that that's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it, it might have been just for the reason um, the why he didn't visit in June, just because he wanted to see other schools. Like, like I get it, like um, the spring game visit, he didn't get to meet the, the staff in person. But um, he traveled all over the country in June and, um, you know, making it back to Florida State. He has a great relationship with Marcus Woods, and he said they talk like, if not every day, like every other day. So for 2023, obviously Woodson's making it like a, a huge priority. Um, the biggest news coming off of this visit was that he has already locked in another visit to Florida State for the season opener, opener on September 5th. Um, so that's a, good, that's a good sign to get him back on campus. He'll be at Miami later in the week. Um, that, and that, those are the two um, final visits of the summer for him. Excellent. And there was another big time 2023 20, prospect on campus, this time on the other side of the ball, five-star wide out from Gulliver Prep High School, Jalen Brown. You spoke to Brown after his workout and he was there to work out. That was the other impressive thing. All these, all these five stars that we're talking about, every single five-star worked out. Um, you talked to Jalen Brown after, after the workout. What do you say? Um, yeah, Jalen Brown is a huge priority for them in the, the 23 receiver um, class that's, you know, as many people know, is very loaded, especially in the state of Florida. They've got a bunch of top targets, um, especially in South Florida. But Jalen Brown's probably, you know, close to number one on their board for next year. He's got legit speed. Um, we saw him line up against uh, Travis Hunter um, and, and multiple other, you know, really great defensive backs that are out there working out. And he more than held his own. Um, I spoke to him and he, he kind of said that 
He really enjoyed working out with Ron Dugans, a guy that he's built a, a strong relationship with so far in his recruiting process. And personally, I, you know, if Jalen didn't go out and say, you know, FSU leads, but I, I personally think um, that's where he's favoring right now. Uh, he's got a long ways to go, um, but he'll also be back for the Notre Dame game. And an interesting part to that is that I think Notre Dame's also a big player in his recruitment. He's a pretty smart kid and, and kind of fits that mold that they like in, in their recruits. So I think Jalen Brown's also interested, but he'll be on Florida State sideline and, and kind of taking in the game as a, as a recruit um, at FSU. So, yeah, getting him back on campus was big. He was there in June. Um, he was actually there for the elite camp, too, in June. So he's worked out twice for the FSU staff, a five-star prospect. I just think that, um, that it's trending really well for Florida State and his recruitment currently. And um, a big part of this visit was getting his parents on campus, and he said they loved it as well. So um, overall, great visit for Jalen Brown. Okay. One of the last ones I want to talk about here, uh, we had the number one junior college defensive back in the country on campus, DeCarlos Nicholson. It was an unofficial visit. Uh, we learned about it about 24 hours prior to uh, you were able to talk to him. He did not work out, but what did he say to you after the visit concluded? Yeah, so he got on campus, spent a lot of time around Marcus Woodson and FSU assistant uh, Slade Buckley, who kind of deals in the, the Mississippi area. Um, and that's where he plays Juco. So, uh, you know, FSU offered him on the trip. Like you said, he didn't work out. Um, but his recruitment seems like it's far from over. He's currently committed at Mississippi State, but, you know, by the way, he's you know easily and wanting to get on the road and go see other places. Um, I doubt that his recruitment is going to be um, is going to be you know steady going forward. I think he's going to visit a bunch of other schools. He mentioned he wants to take all of his visits in the fall, and then he'll enroll uh, after um, his season over there. So probably December, January, an early enrollee, and then he'll have three years to play. So it'll be interesting. I think um, I think he wants to get back to Florida state because he didn't get really to spend a ton of time around the staff just because they were so busy with, you know, hosting the camp and all that. Um, but he'll be a guy to watch for um, as the season unfolds and kind of, and kind of seeing where Florida state goes in that final defensive back spot. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, I think that's about the wrap. We had a lot of news on Knowles 24 seven. So if you guys want any more from camp, um, go check the front page of the website. We're posting more interviews, more updates. Uh, Zach put up a photo gallery. There's a lot going on there. Brendan, you got anything? You got anything you want to ask us about the camp? I, I do. I have some questions uh, to get both your perspective on the camp, but I'm going to put it in buyer Sinone form if we're okay with that. Have at it. You have really no choice on the matter, do you? Uh, buy or Sinone, FSU finishes with at least seven offensive line signees. Jeez. I'll Sinon that. I'm going to Sinon that. You, you think it'll thin out a little bit? What about you, Zach? Yeah, yeah I'm Sinoning. Um, I think if anything, they'll probably like lose one game one or something. I don't think it goes over seven. Right. Well, they're, I'm they're not at five right now, correct? Yeah, they're at five right now. I don't think it goes over six. Okay. I, I think it'll, I'm with you guys. I think it'll eventually, I think they'll have potentially more than seven committed at one point. I don't know if they end up signing that many. Yeah, it'll kind there of could be some them. attrition as All always. Right. Well, sticking with that, I was the first, as you know, to put in the Elijah Pritchett crystal ball. I think I'm the only one for FSU at this point. Are you buying or synoning that crystal ball as of right now? I'll synone it. I'm buying it just because it has a low confidence score. Low confidence is what I do. <laughs> Byer Sinone, after seeing him in person, Josh, Brian Courtney, Byer Sinone. I'll buy it. I mean, look at the tight end room. I'm buying. I'm buying. <laughs> what about what about you, Zach, after seeing him in person, Byer Sinone, Brian Courtney? Dude, I'm buying. Um, he's got legit speed. He was breaking away from those uh, in the slot. He was running up in the slot um, and, and kind of going against the linebackers they had. And there were some pretty athletic guys uh, at the linebacker position. He was gaining separation on every route. His, it, the way he catches the ball is a little interesting, and I think that's just because of um, him not having experience at the tight end position. 
but you know he'll he'll fine tune that um, at the next level once once he's more focused in that position. Do we know if his grandpa plays golf or anything cool? <laughs> they have uh, they have a Nicholas on the on the uh, on the roster right now. I'm just I'm just asking if Courtney's grandpa does anything cool. I don't know. I we'll have to find him. out. We have they time. Have, they have a Nicholas on the roster right next now. Next question. All right. Bye or wait, Zach. Real quick, what do you mean by he caught the ball? Kind of like the approach was weird. What uh, what what did you view there? Kenny was working with his hands. The, well, instead of oh, whoops. Um, instead of having his hands like out to catch the ball, he would like kind of like bring them to like have them like wide and then bring them together as soon as the ball got there. So it was like kind of like I don't know how you how you characterize that, but it was like. Yeah, Kenny was working with his hand angle on like how to. I don't. I'm not exactly sure what they're working on, but yeah, there was something there that that wasn't. They didn't like. I don't know, but they corrected it. He was still catching the ball. It was just maybe a. Uh, it was unorthodox. Unorthodox looking. way of doing it. Yeah. Alrighty. By Orsonone, you feel good about the defensive tackle recruiting now, Josh. Yeah, I mean, I feel good. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll buy that. All right, good. Good, good, good. Zachary, do you feel good about it? I feel good, not great, just because they don't have an instant impact guy. But I feel good at the two guys that they have in the class right now. Would we define it as better than average right now, defensive tackle board, what they have? I mean, better than they've done in the past couple of years, yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, I'd say it's an improvement upon what they've done in the past couple of years. But if you measure it up against the Florida State standard, it's, it's an average class. Makes sense. By Orsonone, Trevion Williams was the most significant committed visitor of the weekend. Also known that, Brian Courtney. Also known that, Sam McCall. Also known that, Travis Hunter, anytime he's on campus. By Orsonone, this is not recruiting related, but it is a topic of conversation. FSU finishing fourth or better in the ACC Atlantic Division. Buyers to know. Uh, that's probably a buy for me. Somewhere in that range. Fourth would be like they go six and six. Uh, yeah, it would imply pretty close to five hundred in the division, and then you would figure price to yeah five hundred out of out of. I'll buy that. I'll buy that. Okay. Yeah, I think that's where I had them. That's where the ACC media had them fourth. Real quick, you guys think the fan base understands like that that finishing fourth would be a, a good thing? Like generally, you think that they're kind of realizing where FSU is, or is there a little uh, pie in the sky right now of, of not quite grasping where where FSU is as a program? I think there's a little pie in the sky right now. I think um, when success comes in recruiting, we've talked about this on the pod, but sometimes fans get a little bit ahead of themselves and feel like this is gonna change the product on the field this year and unfortunately this team this roster is what it is um so i think people and it's just that time of year right like college football camp is about to start every fan base in america is feeling a little bit more optimistic than they did when the season ended and they're gearing up for for the start of the season so i i can't fault to anybody that's really excited or well everybody should be excited because football is coming back but mm -hmm. yeah i think at times we get a little ahead of ourselves. I hope they understand though, like finishing 500 in the conference and then thus likely finishing 500 total would be a really positive step for FSU. So going, yeah. and I think it would allow them to keep this class mostly intact. You'd have a selling point of progress. Uh, so, so fourth would be improvement from where they've been the last few years. And it would be positive overall, in my opinion. True. Is right, that a buyer's that's it. I'm done. All right. Before we get out of here, I wanted to talk a little conference realignment with everything that's been going on, Brendan. Uh, Zach and I hit on it Saturday, just, just briefly. I mean, they're talking about it in class at Florida State, so why not talk about it on the bench on the podcast? I was getting text messages from multiple people, Josh, about your, your conference realignment takes. So yeah, that's all the buzz right now. I would say I'm in the proactive camp. If I, if, if I had one word to describe my stance on what's going on, um, I would say proactive. So what would you generalize your, or what's your take on it? Just in general, we got time. So it was funny. We were at the ACC kickoff, Chris and I, when the news of Texas and Oklahoma was reported as like a, they had reached out to the SEC. I think that was on Wednesday evening. So the Wednesday 
portion of the of the interviews that was a coastal day and the day where Jim Phillips was talking had already happened. Uh, so you couldn't get the commissioner's thoughts on record uh, on that that day. The next day was the Atlantic Division Day with FSU and, and everyone in that division. And coaches were asked about it, but nothing crazy uh, and nothing was concrete yet. Well, by the time I flew out of Charlotte on Friday, like at around 11 o'clock in the morning and then landed at about one, like everything had changed. It was, it was, had gone from, they had talked to now all of a sudden there was like meetings with the, the big 12 emergency meetings that, that both Oklahoma and Texas did not partake in. There was a report that like Texas A&M was not involved at all in the conversations that the SEC teams were having with Texas and Oklahoma. So it started like really gaining traction. And, and now obviously today, uh, it came out that both Oklahoma and Texas do not intend to to renew their their grant of rights and their their deals with the Big Twelve. And they haven't said that we're going to the SEC, but that would be the implication. So so that's I'm catching everyone up about where we are right mm-hmm. now. Uh, I'm with you, Josh. I think being proactive on Florida State and is the right play. I, I know it's pretty polarizing right now among the fan base. Some watch don't like the idea of trying to get into the SEC or or Big Ten. You want to stay pat and try to up the ACC with Notre Dame and someone else. I don't know how realistic that is. Uh, David Hale of ESPN has a really good uh, Twitter thread that he put together. That I'll link to the board later. Maybe someone already else has. But it basically kind of goes down why Notre Dame probably feels its best play right now is to remain independent and the flexibility it has. Now, uh, their, their athletic director has said that he's cognizant of where realignment is going and that this is an evolving landscape. But really there's not a whole lot of financial gain right now, the way it's set up for Notre Dame to give up its independence and to join the ACC, maybe like $5 million a year in net value, but there's other money on the table to have like your own TV network and whatnot. Especially if the SEC comes and raids Clemson from the ACC, then what happens? Right. Right, You you know, then I, I can't see a scenario where Notre Dame comes to the ACC and, you know, even if they do, I don't think that's enough firepower well, to who compete are they coming with what's with? happening. Right. Yeah. Who, who are they coming with? And right now, like the talked about team is Navy. And I understand. Or Houston the, or Oklahoma State or none of these teams. It's, it's or West like, Virginia. You know, the law of diminishing returns. It's like increasing at a decreasing rate. Mm-hmm. I don't think that for that ACC's increase in because this is an arms race. Right. Yeah. That's what this is. Everybody, every conference is going to try to load up to the best of their ability to create leverage and bargaining power for these tv contracts mm-hmm. and, and oh, go on. where does the acc turn to i mean if you're talking about i kind of i covered usf too when they went from the big east to the american and i feel like that's what happened when the biggies died that was usf's best chance was to have the big east continue to flourish and go on as as it was once the biggies died and they started adding teams i know it's at a different level but i kind of feel like usf isn't was is was in the position that fsu could be if this thing falls apart and they don't and they're not proactive and if they're trying to raid i i agree with you i remember talking when i was still uh, around ucf i was still in orlando at that point when ucf joined the big east which had been a thing they were trying to do forever then the big east dissolved and turned into the america one of the coaches was we asked him about it, and he just kind of put his, his head in his hands he's like he's like we're the conference usa again like that's basically exactly. it became a slightly amped up better conference usa uh, and that's what you know if you're looking at what the big 12 and you're talking about rating them to try to get west virginia or oklahoma state or, or you're still going to be the acc you're still going to be slightly inferior to the big 10 and to the to the sec even though you did all this additions all it takes is for a conference to come in and take clemson and now all stability's lost mm-hmm. and everything's spiraling because right now clemson is the program to hang your hat on if you're the acc so i think you got to be proactive you got to get out people have asked me josh you think it's would what about the Big Ten with the weather advantage or disadvantage? Who cares about the weather at that point? And then it's like, Josh, but what about the SEC? Do, would you really want to go to the – it's like forget the conference names and labels as we knew them. This is a whole new college football realm that we're entering. And I'm not just talking in 2022, 2025. I'm talking about 2030, 2040. Like what's this thing going to look like in 10 or 15 years from now, and it's probably going to be mega conferences. Mm-hmm. How many mega conferences is the question? And I think there's going to be two. I mean, you're looking at okay, a couple things to unpack there. 
one real quick to your point about Big Ten weather and whatnot. That got me thinking. Like, I, I think fans in general think about the regional aspect of college football, which for it makes sense, right? Such a long time college football was about regions and even the way that it's called the, the Southeastern Conference, uh, the Pac-12 is you know, the out west uh, by the Pacific Ocean. So, like, I get it, but that's probably we're getting further and further away from it being regional based. It's becoming nationally based. And I was going to always have regional fan bases, but I don't think it's going to that's going to preclude teams from trying to to continue to expand the footprint to have a national level. Does it to the point where it's like two major like conferences, Josh, like maybe. Maybe. I, I do think we're going in a direction where these conferences are going to eat up smaller ones and, and try to keep loading up the, the amount of teams they have in there. Like there's co- talks about the SEC possibly instead of being like 16 or 18 teams stopping like at 20 or 24. And at that point, you can kind of rule it like as your own division of football almost, right? Exactly. Uh, Especially and, in, and, in well, the SEC right now is getting the right teams too. They're not just taking yep. Houston for the sake of padding their stats and, and adding to it. I mean, they're going after Texas. They're going after Oklahoma. God knows where they're going to go next, but I think I have an idea. Um, I think get in where you fit in. If FSU has a chance to go to the SEC, absolutely. I don't think yeah. either SEC, Big Ten, they're both wins for Florida State in the long term. Mm-hmm. And, and you'll need – and right now I think the SEC obviously is showing that it's the best position to continue the expanding and engulfing of, of, of teams at once. I think the next most powerful with, with money and, and just having stature and, and appeal would be the, the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to your point of your theory of, of FSU, Clemson, and Notre Dame, that was, that, that was, those were the three teams that you'd thrown out there, right? The other those are the three teams that bring the most firepower, in my opinion. You know, the they most – yeah. So one thing I will say, and a little more information on Notre Dame, they do not. I keep saying the one thing I'm going to say, and saying more things uh, than more than one thing. But regardless, uh, Notre Dame, its grant of rights deal that I believe goes through 2036, the same thing that FSU and all ACC teams are dealing with, and the amount of money they'd have to pay for a buyout. I don't know off the top of my head. It would be extraordinary. We'd be talking about probably tens of millions of dollars. Uh, but for Notre Dame, that same grant of rights deal, Josh, they have to join if they join a conference it has to be the acc until 2036 unless you you buy that out for again a, a ton of money which it may be more prudent for them to do that if they do decide to join a league go to the big 10 or or sec i, well, I do it'll be interesting to see what happens with the uh grant of rights with um texas and oklahoma because they're supposed to run through 2025 but there's a lot of talk that that's not going to make it but like you said the buyout would be smaller on that as but, well so texas, it's a more manageable buyout and Texas has F, excuse me, I almost said F, F, FSU money. They have FU money. Yeah, Texas they have oil money. Yeah, and it's, just, it's a little different. I am with you, though. FSU has to be proactive. I, I was told by someone in the boosters that they were caught a little off guard. Not that, that Texas and Oklahoma jump, but the timing of it, because they did still have three years left, three to four years left with their grant of rights. Uh, so, so there was a little bit of a surprise that it happened this offseason. And I yeah. think a lot of teams around college football are – are, I don't want to say scrambling, but are all of a sudden things are getting expedited and, and maybe you didn't have all your, your ducks in a row for this. Mm. Well, it's certainly interesting. Um, <laughs> the summer of change between the NIL stuff and, and this conference realignment stuff, we are heading into a new era of college football. Whether or not it's good for the game, we don't know, but it's clear we are heading into a new era of college football. And it's fun to talk about. So we have that going for us too, as, as people who produce content, it is content to discuss in otherwise slow times of year. So yeah, that. it's fun. And um, I think that's, we're going to leave it today. Zach had to peel off to go do another interview at 1 PM. So we will sign off for Zach. Um, thank you, Brandon, for joining us back from your bachelor party. You're looking good. Not my bachelor party. I feel very pale and, and sickly right now. I thought it was your bachelor party. Thank you for listening to On the Bench. We will be back soon.
baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.